Chapter 5 of Irene Edisley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irene Edisley by Amanda McKittrick Rose. Chapter 5 Our hopes when elevated to that standard of ambition which demands unison may fall asunder like an ancient ruin. They are no longer fit for construction unless on an approved principle. They smolder away like the ashes of burnt embers and are cast outwardly from their confined abode, never more to be found where once they existed only as smoldering serpents of scorned pride. The little chat that Irene apparently enjoyed in the conservatory would gladly have become an act of forgetfulness on her part had not Sir John reminded her of its existence a few days afterwards. The spark of jealous passion had not fully died out after the incident referred to, and awaiting silently its decease, Sir John almost had grown a mourner to its imagined demis, following its undying remains so far as the village of opportunity when it was again to revive and shine as luminously as before. It happened about three weeks preceding the day set apart for their holy union. On Sir John arriving at the castle, he was informed of Irene's recent exit, and gently turning away, he resolved to have a stroll in the tastefully laid-out gardens with the sole object of meeting her. Walking leisurely along, and stooping to pick up some fallen fruit, he suddenly heard a faint sound issue amongst the trees. Remaining breathless for a few seconds, lest he might be deceived by the rippling sounds of the adjacent ways, he again heard the same sweet strain, but of a much longer duration than before, and quietly moving towards the spot whence it issued, another sound met his ear in the distance, which seemed to be the hasty tread of someone making good an escape before he got time to view the object he would eagerly have pursued, but checking his desire somewhat, he allowed the matter to sink into silence. Boldly moving towards the spot whence the sound of mu music issued, how delightfully surprised was he to find a magnificently constructed little summer house, a charming pyramidical Gothic structure, robed internally with mossy mantles of nature, and brightened beyond conception with the instrument of humanity, which gave origin to such pathetic and sweetened strains. Politely offering an apology for intruding on the private little palace of Irene, who failed completely to hide her gross confusion from the keen gaze of her espoused, who never seemed to notice in the least the sudden change that swept so swiftly over her pallid cheeks at his unexpected visit, Sir John sat down. Irene held in her snowy palms a roll of Italian music, which she earnestly endeavored to conceal from his penetrating stare, probably on account of the words contained therein, which forever would be unknown to his varied sphere of knowledge, and which would undoubtedly have betrayed her feelings, never dreaming that they should strike other ears than those for whom they practically were intended. Perceiving her great excitement at the unexpected appearance of him, who ever afterwards kept his jealous thoughts in silent motion, he absolutely evaded making any inquiry 
whatever, or slightest allusion to the name and nature of the parchment she so firmly retained. Sir John chatted gaily until he gained good ground for delivering to her the message that instinct had so prompted him to utter. "'Irene, my beloved one,' he began, it is now only about a score of days until I hope forever to call you mine, a hope which unmercifully has haunted me since I fortunately gazed on your lovely face, a hope which I trusted should be fully appreciated by both you and me, and which, I now must own, can never be realized until the clearance of the barrier that since our engagement has been but too apparent. The sole object of my visit, my dear Irene, here Sir John clasped her tender hand in his. Tonight is to elicit from you a matter that lately has cast a shadowy gloom over my anticipated bright and cheerful future. I am not one of those mortals who takes offense at trifles, neither am I a man of hasty temper or words. Quite the contrary, I assure you, but it has, fortunately or unfortunately, been probably a failing amongst my ancestors to court sensitiveness in its minutest detail, and, I must acknowledge, I stray not from any of them in this particular point. I must acquaint you, though it pains me deeply to do so, that lately you have not treated me with such respect or attention as you certainly lavished upon me before the announcement of our engagement and for what reason or reasons I now wish to be apprised. You seem, when in company with others, to ignore my remarks to you entirely, and treat them with proud disdain, as if shame took the place of pride at my wordy approach. I felt, and do feel quite hurt, and am resolved that no such repetition shall take place in the future. I promised to be at the castle last night, but unfortunately I felt indisposed, and only that I wish to have a thorough understanding relative to your recent conduct, and which has pained me acutely, I should not have ventured out of doors this evening either. I was, in consequence, obliged to write you last night, asking a written reply which you failed to give, and this evening, instead of being doubly rejoiced at my presence, you, on the contrary, seem doubly annoyed. I therefore pray, my dearest Irene, that you will, and I am persuaded honestly, not hesitate to satisfy me regarding this unpleasantness, that should anything of which you are now aware cause your conduct to be changed towards me. Do not allow it a lair within your breast, but confide in me as thou wouldst in a dearly trusted and faithful lover. At this stage, Irene began to consider seriously the earnestness this that accompanied the words of Sir John. Knowing well she had been guilty, grossly guilty, of the charges with which he impeached her, and which were mixed with childlike simplicity, descriptive only of a world-famed bachelor. She pondered whether or not honesty should take the place of deceit, too often practiced in woman, and concluded to adopt the latter weapon of defense. Raising her hazel eyes to his, and clearing the weft of truth that had been mixing with the warp of falsehood to form an answer of plausible texture, fringed with different shades of love, she thus began. My dearest and much beloved, I assure you your remarks have astounded me not a little. 
Your words sting like a wasp, though I am quite convinced, unintentionally. You are well aware that within a short period I will be marked out publicly as a mistress of Dunfern Mansion, an honour revered in every respect by me, an honour to which I at one time dare never aspire, an honour coveted by many much more worthy than I, whose parentage is at yet bathed in the ocean of oblivious ostension, until some for a future day, when I trust it shall stand out boldly upon the brink of disclosure to dry its saturated form and watery wear with the heat of equality. You are about to place me in a position which cannot fail to wring from jealousy and covetousness their flaming torch of abuse. Yes, Sir John, on me you have not ceased to lavish every available treasure and token of your unbounded love. You have been to me not only a loyal admirer, but a thoroughly upright and estimable example of life's purest treasures. You have resolved to place me by your side as your equal, whilst wealth in boundless store is thirsting for your touch. You have elevated my unknown position to such a pitch as to defy taunt or jeer, and at any time, if I may have, seemingly ignored your advances, it was purely want of thought, not through any underhand motive or scheme whatever. I assure you, your allusion to my verbal answer last night is very pronounced, and may be overlooked on the ground of pure disappointment. Our time of singleness is now short and begging your forgiveness for my seeming neglect or indifference, I hope the tide, which until now has flown so gently, may not be stayed on the eve of entering the harbour of harmony, peace, and love. At the commencement of Irene's answer of lavishing praises and flimsy apologies, her affiance moved to the opposite corner of the rustic building to scan the features of her he wholly worshipped and reluctantly doubted. Every sentence the able and beautiful girl uttered caused Sir John to shift his apparently uncomfortable person nearer and nearer, watching at the same time, minutely, the divine picture of innocence, until at last, when her reply was ended, he found himself, altogether unconsciously, clasping her to his bosom, whilst the ruby rims, which so recently proclaimed accusations and innocent, met with unearthly sweetness chasing every fault over the hills of doubt until hidden in the hollow of immediate hate end of chapter 5